Greetings, I'm Tyler and this is The Socialized Recluse. My guest this time is the creator of 30 Days of Night, Criminal Macabre, October Faction, Simon Dark, and a whole slew of others, Steve Niles. Now, Steve was cool enough to agree to join me on this little bit of an experiment episode. I want to try and play with the interview form a little bit. And um, the idea being that, yeah, we're going to talk about the his work, um, past, present, upcoming, reclaimed. Um, but we want to center it around one subject. And... In this case, I needed an excuse to, well, I didn't need one, but it was just a nice excuse to for me to watch the uh, Universal Monsters Blu-ray box set I bought um, and hadn't watched yet. Um, so Steve agreed to join me to talk about our shared love and obsession for the, um, un- the classic Universal Monsters films, and it was great to get to revisit a lot of these. Um, and along the way, we also are going to talk about his work with Bernie Wrightson and especially the absolutely amazing Frankenstein Alive Alive and Pets and Gil. As ever, if you'd like to shout, scream, swear, say hi or otherwise at me, my email is TWW at parentheticalrecluse.com. And you can check out earlier episodes of this show at parentheticalrecluse.com slash TSR pod. Now my chat with Steve. doing fine he's actually out um it's actually we've been dealing with like such extreme heat like triple digits for three weeks now three or four weeks of triple digits we've had to bring him in early because it it just gets too hot um but my wife monica set up um a sprinkler system like a misting system in, in his pen so he's doing good I always kind of joke with my wife that, you know, when we put our dogs to, in, in their beds for the night, we always say Jurassic Park is closed. But, I mean, you guys have a zoo. So, I mean, how many pets do you have? We have four dogs, two cats, and two tortoises. Okay. But the tortoise, the second tortoise, Rico, is just a little guy. He's a little Greek tortoise. Okay. Okay. So, he, he's not a giant like Gil. Okay. Is, is he a recent addition? No, no, oh, we've oh. had him for years. He's another, he's sort of a rescue. Okay. Um, we were saw him in a pet store and his hind legs didn't work. Oh. So we adopted him and now he climbs all over the place. I mean, were, were pets and animals always part of your life? I mean, was that, I mean, growing up, did you have them or was this? We some... had some, okay. you know, we had cats, we had dogs mostly, like one dog at a time. Um, but for years, all I had was a cat. I had a black cat uh, forever and ever. Um, and then I got Gil. Um, and then it's when, uh, Monica and I got together, she was the dog person. She had like a herd of them at the time. Um, and we whittled it down to just four. Okay. Yeah. That, that's kind of how my wife and I were. She, when, when we got together, she had all the greyhounds and everything. And, and I had my, I had a big standard poodle at the time, but, but yeah, that's how our zoo came to be too. So, I mean, how long have you had Gil? You've had him for a while then. About 15 years now. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and he's he's too big to lift now. So okay. How old is he's he? He's at our mercy. He's 15. 15. We got, I got him. I got okay. him as a yeah. I got him as a baby. Okay. A little tiny. He fit in the palm of my hand. <laughs> Not anymore though. New. No. <laughs> Can't even pick him up. <laughs> so, um, before we dig into our shared Universal Monsters fandom here, um, I have to thank you 
for something. And um, I mean, obviously for chatting with me, but um, you, this interview has contributed to a turning point in my marriage. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, like I had told you the first, like when we first talked that this was the first time my wife had seen the universal monsters movies. And, uh, and, um, but anyhow, so for, we've been together 10 years, the whole time she would just say, I don't like scary movies. I, all right. And she always, at least twice a year, would tell me that Beetlejuice freaked her out. And so she doesn't like scary movies. So when I was prepping for this interview and telling her, you know, I had gotten that box set. And I was like, I'm rewatching all of these because, you know, A, I love them and B, I want to talk about them. And so I finally convinced her to watch the Lugosi Dracula. And she really liked it. And then she said, and then we were like, okay, so let's go on to Frankenstein. She absolutely loved Frankenstein. And then it was a couple weeks after that, that it was just a lazy weekend and completely unprompted. She goes, can we watch another monster movie? Oh, wow. Yeah. So, I mean, we watched Bride of Frankenstein, which has been one of my favorites for years. But um, but yeah, I just had to thank you for that. So you have contributed to a turning point in my marriage. on. Oh, that's great. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, that's good. That's hard to be in a uh, situation where you can't share stuff like that i've i've been in that situation where i've been friends or you know with people who don't like horror yeah and if you saw my house i like live in a haunted house you know (laughs) Uh, so you know it's a it's definitely something i need and and i mean i don't know that it was so much she didn't she she was interested but it was just sort of like crossing that rubicon you know to to yeah and just kind of sh- you know they they're not that the the universal ones aren't that scary i mean they're fun you know they're enjoyable romps basically um but yeah so she absolutely loved bride of frankenstein so that even made me even happier so um oh that's great now you just got to get her to watch the wolfman we did watch the wolfman um okay we, we watched that one on that was this weekend we watched that on saturday Oh, that's great. Yeah, and and she loved that one too. But, um, but yeah, no, the 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 Wolfman. She we've we've done the Wolfman, Frankenstein, Dracula, Bride of Frankenstein, and uh, the Invisible Man. Oh, great! So all the core ones. Yeah, I, I we we started on the core ones, and I mean that was actually you had told me though that that Invisible Man was one that it took you a while to warm up to. Yeah, as a kid, it didn't do much for me. I thought it was really weird. Yeah. Um, and then as an adult, you know, even, I mean, in the last few years, I've, re- I've rewatched it a, a couple times. Mm-hmm. And I just, you know, Claude Rains is so good. Yeah. Um, and I, I just, I love the whole, I love the whole thing. Yeah, that one, I was a late bloomer on that one. Well, it was interesting was that after we watched it, Kate said to me, I didn't feel as bad for him as I felt for all the others. Yeah, that's true. Well, and, he definitely has an evil streak. Yeah, and well, I, you know, we talked about it more, and it was like, you know, it, you there? I, I, yeah, yeah, I'm right here. Can you? Oh, okay. Yeah, um, we talked it about about it a bit more, and she and we decided that it was that he was the only one with a choice. He decided to do this, right? And you know, yeah, the, that's, that's true. Yeah, and the rest, it was completely against their will. But um, so, I mean, what was the first of the Universal monsters you sh- you saw? God. It would be so hard to remember, but I actually think I saw Creature okay. from the Black Lagoon was probably one of my first ones. Okay. Um, you know, that's that's my memory. It's very, you know, it was, you know, because I grew up in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. So I had to rely on whatever they would 
run on TV. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I didn't have much choice, but I remember they would play Creature on Sunday afternoons. Um, and then I remember Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dracula was a little later. Okay. Um, you know, and, uh, but it was all, you know, I was, I was at the mercy of whatever was on TV Yeah. and, you know, every week, you know, you get the Sunday paper and it would have a TV guide in it. And my, my family would get so mad at me cause I'd go through the entire thing with a, with a highlighter <laughs> and just highlight every horror movie or something that, you know, I had to make sure I remembered was on. Uh, and then I would, I was just religious about watching the stuff on TV and we had channel 20. And our horror host was, uh, well, he was two. He was Count Gordeval on Saturday nights uh, for Creature Feature. And then he was Captain 20 during the day. Okay. Uh, and he would introduce all of the cartoons, Spider-Man, Marine Boy, all that stuff. But his Creature Feature, God, turned me on to so many movies. I mean, and, you know, most importantly, that's where I first saw Night of the Living Dead. Okay. Which was huge movie for me that was the kind of the the transformative one for you then right it it really was i mean for so many reasons not only was it just scary you know i mean really on a gut level scary movie um it was done independently and that was something i learned really early on that um george romero you know made this thing for you know for pennies um, and you know, he sort of, you know, he was an industrial filmmaker and just decided he's like, you know, go around Hollywood and just make a movie in Pittsburgh. Um, and I always, that really appealed to me cause I come from a real DIY background. Um, so that on top of the fact that it's just one of the scariest movies and it still holds up, Yeah. you know, it just, it's so disturbing. Like that's one. Yeah, you could never show your wife that one. Yeah, she 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 actually said told me she did see that one in college, and I think that probably contributed to her not wanting to see horror movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, one of the other ones you said of the Universal that was one of your favorites, and it kind of surprised me, but sort of surprised me, but not really, was Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein is a great movie. It's really funny. It has great depictions of all the monsters. Yep. Um. You know, I mean, you get Lugosi, you know, in there and you got Cheney and, you know, I mean, you, you don't have Karloff, but, you know, I, Glenn Strange is fantastic. Oh, he's a great monster. Yeah, I love him. Yeah, he's he's a really great monster. And um, I just loved it. And, I, you know, the story that I heard was that it was going to be just another like House of Frankenstein kind of movie, you know, that it was the next in line that they were going to do. And somehow the script fell into the hands of Abbott Costello and they decided to make it a vehicle for them. And, uh, you know, I just, it's of, of the universals. It's one of my favorites. One of my favorite moments is a really silly one. When the werewolf or the wolfman is chasing Dracula around. So Dracula throws a flower pot. Yeah. They're they're just smashing (laughs) furniture on each other. (laughs) Room to room, just throwing flower pots. Yeah, I just, oh, I just, I just loved it. I love it. And then you even get a little tiny Vincent Price. Yes, appearance. yes, and yeah, and yeah. I, I, I remember loving that. And I, I had seen Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein before I saw the Invisible Man return. So I was like, why is Vincent Price playing the? When I was younger, I was like, why is Vincent Price yeah. the Invisible Man? And I was like, oh, cool. Yeah, so good. The one thing with it though, and I, my opinion of Lugosi has kind of dampened in years the longer I've watched him. And I mean, I love him in like the first two thirds of Dracula. 
Yeah. I, yeah. yeah and, but, and Abbott and Costello, it just felt, and I mean, he was in rough shape at that point. Uh, yeah. But, you know, it kind of felt like he was playing an actor playing Bill Lugosi playing Dracula. Yeah, I know, I know what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, that was like the one thing. But but then, you know, he, he redeemed himself throwing flower pots at the Wolfman, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Plus, you know, with Dracula, um, oh, I'm, I'm going to blank on the, on the director's name, Todd Browning. Yeah. Um, when Todd Browning was doing um, Dracula, he had a, a big, tra- I'm not sure of the actual story, but he had a big tragedy happen. Okay. Um, so he wasn't really all there. Mm-hmm. Um, if you get a chance, have you watched the Spanish version? Yeah, I love the Spanish version. The Spanish version is incredible. Yeah, it's and brilliant. He, that's the you know, Browning did, you know, just when things were good, basically. Yeah. You know, and he had a hard time. That's the story I heard. Of. Yeah. So um, with with Abbott, back to Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein for a sec, though, is it one of the things I... In an interview you had done a few years ago, you had said that um, horror and comedy appeal to me in the same way. You're trying to get trigger a reaction, and it's fun to scare people and make them laugh. So how are horror and comedy, from a writing perspective, from your perspective, similar? Both rely on surprise. You know, both rely on the unexpected. Um, you know, when they work the best, you know, except in horror, you're going for a scare. and comedy, you're going for a laugh. You know, I've... I've been fortunate enough you know i have at least one series i do called criminal macabre um and it's comedy i mean i've always viewed it as almost majority comedy you know but there's lots of horror in there too um and yeah it feels like the same tools you know it feels like i'm I'm going for the same effect uh but for different reactions right it's the setups and payoffs you know with yeah different reactions yeah um that was actually another just kind of jumped subject here with 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 criminal macabre and it was you I, I i've always found it fascinating that you tend to shy away from ongoing series and i mean you know, it, it, i mean is there a reason for that or is it just the way it worked out it's you know i like with criminal macabre i do mostly stuff at dark horse um, and Dark Horse likes miniseries, you know, whether it's Hellboy or Criminal Macabre, they like doing stuff in four or six issue bursts. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I would have loved Criminal Macabre to be an ongoing, you know, in, in my head, a lot of times I was thinking about it as an ongoing, except I had to keep stopping and starting and resetting up everything. Um, but no, that was just circumstance, you know, trying to sell comics is it, it's pretty tough these days. Well, I mean, so, yeah, I mean, I was wondering that too. Is that you know, with your background in music, um, and and punk music, I mean, how did that like prepare you for comics? Because you've been sort of doing this, you know, DIY on your own for years now. Yeah, well, when you know, I was in DC and I was playing in bands. You know, one of the one of the reasons I was so drawn to the DC punk scene was because it was these kids who did everything themselves they had their own record labels they booked their own shows they booked their own tours they made their own merchandise i mean they just they they didn't i'm waiting for permission Mm -hmm. and i love that and that was so inspiring to me as a kid um and so when you know when i decided or had the idea to do comics i immediately wanted to do it on my own Mm -hmm. you know so i I actually i started a, a publishing company um 
and it probably would have lasted more than two or three years if I had any business knowledge. Um, but it was purely creative, you know, driven. Um, but yeah, the music led directly to comics in, in the way I approached it. Well, I, I was going back to your ongoing versus miniseries. I, 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 looking back on your work and stuff, I was like, you know, with the, the your music background helped me. It kind of made sense because, I mean, the first, you know, the first impression with how you do things is, you know, TV seasons or something like that. That's the, yeah. But to me, it felt like each of your series is a different band. And yeah. your series and the miniseries within then are the albums that band puts out. Yeah, that would make sense. That okay. would make sense. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, so let's see here. Hang on, I have to find where sure I am here because now I really went off the chart, literally. Uh, <laughs> that's okay, though. Um, so I, I do want to go go back here with to the Universal stuff, but um, and, and I want to talk about Frankenstein in particular because I know that one yeah. has quite a bit of meaning for you. And I was wondering if you could talk about how Frankenstein Alive Alive came about because I, I absolutely love that book. You know, uh, it's, it's kind of a long story. Yeah, we got um, time. But, uh, you know, it all started when I met Bernie Wrightson. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was a lifetime fan. And I was in Dallas, Texas uh, at a convention and he was there. And I let I brought him like one of every one of my books, you know, that I had on the table. And I'm like, here, you know, it's like <laughs> overwhelmed him. Um, and then we got talking and he, we were like, where do you live? It turned out we lived like four blocks from each other. Wow. So we started going out and getting beers and food. We used to go to this place called the Concrete Beach and get oysters and beer. Um, and we would just hang out and, I had no intention of asking him to do any work because it just, I noticed that's all anybody ever asked him to, you know, everybody hit him up for work. So I was just like, I, I just want to be friends. And then he went and did, um, what was it? Simpsons tree of horror with land. Okay. They did the swamp thing parody and that got his taste for comics back. Um, and he came to me, and was like, let's do some comic books together. So that's when we did um, City of Others for Dark Horse, which was supposed to be the beginning of a big thing. Um, but unfortunately, Dark Horse bailed on it, and we wound up taking the rest of the series as individual stories to IDW. Okay. Um, and we did uh, Doc Macabre, The Ghoul, uh, Dead She Said, which if you checked out at all, they're, they're fairly light. You know, they're not they're not real hardcore horror. There's a lot of humor to them and stuff. And this was just Bernie and I and and his wife, Liz, and we would just hang out and play Scrabble every Friday night, get pizza, play Scrabble, drink beer and talk stories. And so that sort of became our method. And one of the you know, one night he brought up Frankenstein. He's like, I think I want to get back into Frankenstein. And I was just like, I basically turned into a cheerleader at that point, <laughs> you know, I was like, yes, you know, do what, you know, do what you're going to do. And we would spend hours just talking about the story. And God, I think, you know, originally that was supposed to be like 18 issues long. Yeah. Um, we had a lot of story plotted out. Um, and then Bernie would just go away and do these amazing pages and he would write captions. And then I would go away and mess with the captions and add to them. Um, but it was completely motivated by Bernie. Like I said, I just, 
I was so thrilled, especially once I saw I started seeing the work. Mm-hmm. I was just blown away. He just he like put it in another gear, you know, and uh, I'm very happy that his final work was so strong. Yeah. You know, so I said we were goofing off. We were doing all this stuff for you know, we just having fun. But Frank, it's not alive. Alive is, is a serious book. And uh, and, it, and it just you know, it looks great. And we were very fortunate that, you know, after Bernie got sick um, and he retired, he asked Kelly Jones to finish it. Mm hmm. Um, and I think they did a beautiful job on oh, that. His work's spectacular in there. It, it's stunning. I mean, the, the, and, the, and the whole series is just absolutely mind-bogglingly beautiful. It's, yeah. yeah it's, so, I mean, can you, I mean, when, when you and, you know, Bernie would discuss Frankenstein alive, I mean, can you share like some of those, the, you know, what the Frankenstein story meant to Bernie? Oh, I mean, you know, he's just like, he was like me in that way. Like, I don't know. I have riffed on Frankenstein so many times, you know, and I just, with Bernie, it is literally, you can find stuff from the sixties that he started doing Frankenstein. You know, I mean, he started, this was something that he, that he worked for his entire life. Yeah. You know, his entire art life. Um, so I know it's very important to him and, you know, I'm, I'm so bummed. Because what the story was gonna be, you know, was this the creatures walk through time until we get to modern, you know, to modern day. We were gonna have all these vignettes of all these different places and people he encountered. Um, you know, we, but we knew where it was gonna end. We knew everything. So, but it was, it, you know, I, I was that more than any of the other stuff we worked on. I was kind of in awe, yeah. you know, and I really did. I stepped back a little bit and really let him do his thing. Yeah. Yeah. He, it was just it, Bernie unleashed on this one. On that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was beautiful. I mean, so you have this um, with, and, and I want to talk about your, your monster forge company, but you yeah. have this tribute to Bernie coming out. And can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. I don't, did you ever see the thing book that came out? No. Okay, it's it's with the same company. They're called Printed in Blood. With my friend Stephen Holbecki, um, runs it. Okay. And what it is is we're just going to artists and writers, and say, you know, what would your tribute to Bernie be? Mm-hmm. You know, you express it in art. Um, you know, or do you have a story to tell? We've already gotten some great stories from people. Bernie was just hysterical. So yeah. I mean, all the stories are just great. Um, you have a so good one to share. Uh, with Bernie? Yeah. Oh, I'm sure I do. I, you know, I'm sure one will get triggered here. Okay, you good. Know? But, uh, um, you know, I mean, that's what we, you know, we just goofed off. Yeah. You know, we just hung out and, you know, I, we became, I, we became so close. I followed him to Austin, Texas. Wow. You know, when they moved there, we moved there too. So we could, you know, still hang out. <laughs> I know. That's awesome though. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's yeah. a true friendship right there. It's awesome that you guys. It was great. I'm, that you guys yeah, got to have. Unfortunately, Austin, yeah, Austin hated us though, and oh. flooded our house and ran us right out in ten months. Oh wow! So it was a short-lived stay then. Oh, it was very short. And then you know, now actually, Liz writes and lives out here near us. Okay, she's about a, yeah, she's about a mile from us. Okay, what is 
Monster Forge. I mean, I I, I kind of glistened light. You know, it's almost a, a transmedia approach to you know a horror franchise and and building stuff like that. Can you kind of walk me through it? Yeah, well, you know, it's something I got together with my friend um, Shannon Denton. Uh, we've known each other for years and years. He's done tons of animation writing and directing, so he's got a very strong feel for animation. Um, we decided just to, you know, get together and try to get some stuff made. Yeah. You know, it very very simple motivation. You know, because we we know we've been in the business so long, we know so many people, um, and sure enough as soon as we announced the company we have been flooded with projects mm -hmm. um, and it's a real wide range of stuff we're doing like you know we're doing some kid a lot of kid stuff that are like but it's all monsters mm -hmm. it's all monsters and horror and that kind of theme but we're doing lots of different kinds of stuff we're you know we're trying to get some animation going um we're working uh on pitching some live action um you know basically that's what we're doing right now is just getting our projects together and taking them out Okay. Um, but we're also, we're going to do minimal publishing, okay. um, which we'll be making an announcement about soon. Um, but we want to, you know, I, I, I've been writing some monster hunter comics, uh, that I've recently developed, uh, working with, uh, do you know, Simon Kudaransky? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've done over the pandemic, we've done three series together. Cool. That's the stuff you said you had, it was from image that'll be in January. One, yeah. Yeah, one will be in at uh, at Image, and then the other we're going to do through Monster Forge. Okay. Yeah. So, um, but so we're doing some publishing. Like a really good example of the type of publishing we're going to be doing is, uh, do you remember a series I did for DC called Simon Dark? Yeah. Well, I got that back. Oh, cool. Which DC is very cool about that kind of stuff. Wow. Um, so we got Simon Dark back, and we're going to put it. There was never an omnibus. Okay. You know, they, they put out three paperbacks um, and they're out of print now. So we're going to put out a big old hardcover, oh, you know, sweet. omnibus and sort of reestablish the character in hopes that if people like it enough, Scott and I could actually do more. Oh, that'd be cool. I, I, I remember I, I enjoyed that series. I remember that that was that was one that you that was actually going to be an ongoing, wasn't it? It was. We yeah. made it 17. We made it 17 issues. That was my one ongoing. Okay. You know, because even uh, the last thing that I really did a long time was October Faction, but that was broken up into little mini series too. The other thing that you've got going is your stuff with uh, Storm King, and yeah, and I I just read I uh, really I really enjoyed Black Sparrow, but you also are doing um, the the Sacred Hearts series, which I guess is from the Storm Kids line. Is that right? Yeah, I've done two things in the Storm Kids. Are there like? considerations when writing for a younger audience that you take into account or is it just sort of you know you're going to write what you write and that's it i i, I did the two series you know I, I i there's no sexual content um i watched it on language and you know i i'd like to say i took it easy on gore but you know, there's there's some blood in there yeah um so, no, I really didn't, you know, because my thing, I remember when I was a little kid, I reached up. Yeah. I didn't like the stuff that was targeted, you know, towards me. So yeah. I was always reading stuff I wasn't supposed to. Yeah, same You here. know, yeah. you know, so um, I sort of kept that in mind when I when I was writing. I think it's really important you don't write down. 
Yeah. You know, um, so I think those books are accessible to everybody, you know, um, especially I think Sacred Hearts, especially, you know, it's kind of got a universal theme that I think people would be into, you know, but the Monica Blue, the vamp, the werewolf story, I really like, too. You also did a few years ago a, a, a Golem series, didn't you? I mean, yeah. And a Breath of Bones. Yes, that one. I love that one. That was really fun. That was with uh, Dave watched her and his art just just made that look. You it, know, and uh, you had said somewhere I, I had read that that the Golem was always one of those stories you wanted to tell. That she never it, it, that it it was one that you had had in you for a while. Yeah, I just you know it was one of those that I just wanted to crack it, just find a you know a good story. I I kind of like you know, over the years I've done it, just sort of go down the list of monsters and try to find some some you know new way in um and i actually i wrote an earlier golem story for cal mcdonald called feet of clay uh it was a criminal macabre series and that was sort of my test run on a golem story um but i think you know with breath of bones it's really it's got a lot of heart um and i think that's where i i, I finally found the sweet spot you know for the golem you know now the challenge is werewolves okay i was gonna ask I if still... there's one that you haven't tackled yet that's kind of on your oh. That's nagging yeah. at you. Werewolves. Yeah. Can't can't figure out. You know, I mean, it's just it's very tough. Well, what is it about it that that's you know throwing up some walls for you? Um, coming up with a you know, coming up with a really original take. Um, you know, uh, I I think it's just got to be the way. I thought that's I don't have an idea, so I don't have. A <laughs> But, you know, I did the Monica Blue is a werewolf story. Uh Um, And I thought that that had kind of a cool little twist to it in that it's a father daughter story um, where when she gets bitten and changed, his reaction isn't like Claude Rains and he's going to beat his son to death with a cane. (laughs) He he instead, you know, decides he wants to find out who did this to her, you know, and, and there's because there's a much worse thing out there. Yeah. So it becomes about them teaming up to hunt uh, uh, the big werewolf. Well, I always thought, I thought it was, we we rewatched the um, oh the behind the scenes stuff of the Wolfman, and didn't realize how much of the werewolf mythology that Siodmak invented for that movie. Oh, oh, a lot of it. Yeah, a lot of it. You know, yeah, I, and that's another thing. You know, vampires sort of have a you know a really long history. Yeah, and werewolves, werewolves, it's just very fragmented. It's yeah. very fragmented, and like you said, a lot of it was made up for that movie. You know, which people still do to this day. You know, like one of the things always drives me crazy is probably one of the most famous aspects of a werewolf story is the full moon. Okay. You know, triggering it. That's such a pain in the butt writing. You know, it's like. <laughs> Oh no, he's only gonna change once a month, you know. Yeah, yeah, it, it worked for the the Wolfman, but I can see where it would be frustrating um, beyond that. So, um, let's let's. Um, I I want to jump back real quick to the Universal stuff before we wrap up here. And is there one? I know we talked about the Invisible Man that your your opinion improved over time. Is there one that you have fallen out of love with as the years have gone on? Oh, this is this is controversial. Okay. Um, I haven't fallen out of love with an entire movie. Okay. But when I watch Bride of Frankenstein, which Ooh. should be my favorite one. Okay. Um, I mean, Frankenstein is my favorite of yep. the Frankensteins. But Bride of Frankenstein, the sequence with the miniature people. 
Uh huh. Drives me nuts. Okay. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, it's always kind of bugged me. Um, it just seems really like you're heading in one direction, and then all of a sudden there's like this whimsical, you know, this whimsical miniature scene with the cartoon noises and all that. Okay. And, you know, that, that thing. But the rest of the movie is so great. Oh, yeah. You know. You know, so, you know, but yeah, that's probably my most controversial take on Universal. Okay. <laughs> um, is there, I mean, for you, I mean, you've, you've got a bunch of stuff going right now, different projects all kind of going at the same time. Is there, for you as a writer, is there a creative benefit to kind of going back and forth between different ones? You know, I used to be. I used to, I would have used to have said yes, like jumping around a lot. Yeah. Because I, I used to do that. Now, um, and this is something actually uh, Mark Miller, you know, I've talked to him about this and he did the same thing. Because I used to do like, I'd write like three issue ones mm-hmm. of three different series, you know, and then I go and do the number twos, you know, but I, I would be jumping back and forth. Um, now, everything I write, I'd focus on one thing at a time. And I write the whole series. Okay. You know, I, I outline it completely and then I write, I script it and it's much more focused. Okay. You know, it's not as crazy as some of my older stuff <laughs> used to be. <laughs> so, so you do then, so from start to finish one project and then, then the next one and then. And then the next one. Yeah. Oh. I, I try not to jump around too much, even though with Monster Forge, I'm sort of forced to. Okay. Because we've got so many things, you know, coming through. But uh, but on my stuff now, I just I like to focus. So what's it? T- I mean, I, if there is such a thing as a typical work day for you, what's it like? I mean, what what can you? Yeah, um, it's pretty it's, it's pretty easy. I wake up super early, uh, usually like five thirty or six, um, and I go right to the computer, and I deal with you know I have my morning activities I do on on online, um, and then I get the hell offline. <laughs> <laughs> and I work on whatever's, you know, uh, on my desktop. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've got a series, I'm working on some outlines right now, so I'm trying to get that done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I usually work till about three, five, you know, where I'm in there, and then I, I go in and Mike and I hang out and watch movies. Cool. All right, man. Well, I mean, thank you for chatting with me. Um, of course. I, um, yeah, I, I do have to add one thing, though, is that ever since you posted that picture of Kelly Jones's shadow. I have wanted a shadow series from you and Kelly Jones. So, oh, wouldn't that be fun? Oh, well, man, I, I mean, I do have, I have the shadow and the Dr. Pretorius's lab equipment tattooed on my forearm. So oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, to, I'll send you a picture, but um, yeah. So uh, this would be right up my, uh, I would absolutely love to see a, a series, a shadow series from you too, because it would be awesome. That would be. I'd just like to work with Kelly again. I haven't worked with him for a while. He was he was really funny. He's a lot like Bernie in that, you know, a lot of hysterical conversation between <laughs> us would result in stories. Well, that's how they. That's how the best ones come. Yeah, yeah. yeah see, so Kelly's when, great. When you're not looking for something, that's when it shows up. Exactly. All right. Once again, many thanks to Steve for taking the time to chat with me and to geek out on all things Universal Monsters. And I hope that Gil continues to enjoy his little uh, his little sprinkler cooling system. Um, so since the show is now on Apple Podcasts um, and I am real because of it, it now seems 
a requirement that I implore you to rate and or review this show because apparently it does something which I don't understand and have no clue. And I don't know. I just heard other people do this on their show, so I decided what the hell. Five stars, one star, whatever. Feel something. It, yeah, if I'm, if I'm in the middle there, I'm not really doing my job. I want you to feel something. So, um... Or, you know, feel free to leave a comment on this show's uh, page at Parenthetical Recluse because I have added a comment system to the site because look at me, I'm getting all social. This show's, I mean, this show's making me more social. It's amazing. Sort of more social. Um, And speaking of, if you'd like to keep up with what I'm working on, thinking about all that good stuff, um, best way to do that is through my monthly-ish, more or less, newsletter, Macro Parentheticals. And you can learn more about that at parentheticalrecluse.com slash newsletter. And I think that's it. So as ever, if you'd like to shout, scream, swear, say hi, or otherwise at me, my email is TWW at parentheticalrecluse.com. And you can check out earlier episodes of this show at parentheticalrecluse.com slash TSR pod. We'll see you next time. Thank you.